0: well, hello, my
1: friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining us in the Live Inspired movement. On every Live Inspired podcast episode, we have amazing guests join us to share their stories, their challenges, their opportunities, their solutions toward it, and ultimately what they learned in order that you and I may live inspired together. Now, frequently, the guests that we have on are shocking it's the marathon runner. It's the nun who began marathon running at age, what, 48, and at age 87 ran her most recent marathon. It's the mountain climber. It's the guy who spent 72 days in the Andes. Th- these are these are men, men and women way over the horizon sometimes from where you and I are today. But on this episode, I have the honor and the pleasure of introducing you, in some regards, ordinary heroes. I, I love ordinary heroes. And This couple that you are going to meet here shortly, they are exhibit A of what happens when we, as normal men and women, step forward. We embrace what we have in life. We play the best hand that we can with the cards that have been dealt toward us. And in doing so, we elevate and inspire and transform the relationships of those lucky enough to do life with us. It's going to be an emotional show. You're going to be introduced to the CNN 2017 Hero of the Year. So, you're in for a wild story here. But what you'll find is uh, it's an ordinary story of love and sacrifice and overcoming and understanding ultimately what real perfection and what real beauty ultimately means and looks like in action. What I ask you to do right now is that you tighten up that seatbelt just a little bit more, that you open up that journal a little bit wider, that you uncork that pen that you open wide your mind, your heart, your judgment to how you see things and maybe how you can see things going forward. So friends, it is my honor to introduce you to my friends, Amy and Ben Wright. Amy and Ben, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary.
2: Thank you, John. And thank you for that kind introduction. We're happy to be joining you today.
1: So well,
0: happy to be here, John. Thanks.
1: It is an honor. It's an honor also to have two guests on the show. It's, it's rare that we get to have a, a 2 for oneer, but today is one of those days. We're looking forward to it. Amy and Ben, for those who are unfamiliar with the names Amy and Ben Wright at this moment, well, give us a snapshot of, uh, of what you do today and, and uh, maybe even generally where this story might go, what we're going to be talking about.
2: Sure. Well, um, we are the founders of Biddy and Bose Coffee, which opened uh, two years ago in Wilmington, North Carolina, and proudly employs individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And um, that's kind of probably what we'll be focused mostly on today, sharing our story. Um, It is the culmination of a lot of passion, and um, the inspiration behind it comes from our two youngest children who both have Down syndrome. Um, So we just um, have been blown away by the way the community, the world has embraced this idea. We are in um, expansion stages now to to continue to grow and to reach people with our mission.
1: Well, we're going to go knee-deep at least into that mission. When I was first introduced to your story, and, and we get candidly so many remarkable stories sent our way that unfortunately we we can't possibly— open the door wide enough to broadcast and celebrate everybody's story. But yours is so compelling that when it was shared around our office, uh, there was no way we could not do this story. So I, I'm, I'm thrilled that we have the opportunity to spend a little bit of time today unpacking that story. And uh, th- th- it's, it gets emotional, but it starts ordinary in some regards. Why don't you guys talk about where you met? Where, where did this, this love between you both, Amy and Ben, begin?
0: Well, this is kind of a dueling story. Uh, I claim it one way, Amy claims it a bit differently, but uh, I met Amy in Cincinnati, Ohio. She was um, a senior in the conservatory program there, majoring in uh, musical theater, and um, I wanted to meet her, and, and a friend introduced us uh, at the at the end of a show. She was in a stairwell, and and I uh, gave her my best smile, and she kind of uh, uh, said hello and, and, and kind of blew me off, basically. <laughs> yes. That's
2: not exactly right, but, <laughs> but <laughs> that's uh, where our stories differ.
0: The story ends well. Um, we met in, in August, that was August of 1992. We were engaged on New Year's Eve, and we were married May 30th of 1993. So mm-hmm. uh, we're coming up on 25 years here in just a few weeks um but that's how we met i was there in cincinnati uh trying to figure out what in the world i was going to do having already done quite a bit uh in my early uh life or early years of my life and uh we got married and moved to new york city and and uh you know the story goes from there i don't know uh right how how, you
1: you know the story it's in some regards a story of of success And then then reevaluating what success we're pursuing and making changes in our life to ensure that the ladder we are climbing is leaning against the right wall. I I love your backstory. I love the fact that you made it to New York. And then I love the fact that you began a family. So, Amy, why don't you take over from the New York days? Tell us about New York.
2: Sure. So when Ben and I met and married, he had already had a professional uh, career in New York as an actor and was Back in college, kind of seeking to wrap up his degree so that he could move on and, and do something else. Wasn't really interested in pursuing the theater anymore, but I was fresh out of school. I wanted to give it a try, so he willingly um, moved back to New York City with me, and um, that's where we spent our first year of marriage, and really only were together about six months of that first year with you know different jobs pulling us outside the city, and we just, you know, really early on realized that that was not what we signed up for. We we did not want a marriage where we weren't even spending 50% of our time together. So um, we left New York at that point and um, moved down to North Carolina and and just kind of tried suburban life. And mm-hmm. and once again, um, we're pulled back into show business a little bit um, when there was an opportunity to travel with a uh, production of State Fair um, that Ben and I could do together. We traveled around the country and did that for a couple of months. We landed on Broadway, which was my, you know, my Broadway dream there. I was mm-hmm. able to check that box when that show closed. And, and once we did that and, and check that box, um, I think we both just felt like it was, it was time to settle down and have a family. And, um, we planted ourselves in North Carolina where we had a lot of family at the time and began a new chapter. And, um, I guess that that kind of brings us to
1: you know. <laughs> Here we are, right?
2: Here we
1: are in our lives now, yeah. And I, I'll just say this for our listeners: they are scooting past a really terrific brag sheet and bio that that both have professionally and personally, uh, in order to get to what this conversation is really all about today. And it, it is about um, it is about seeing perfection where others might see challenges. And it's an amazing story, but let, let's, let's slow step into it. You had a child. I, I believe her name is Lily. Is that correct?
2: Correct. She is our oldest and is about to turn 20 this year. So that's right.
1: Life is good. The, the family, uh, is, is, is rooting well. You have a little baby girl. I think her name is Emma Grace.
2: Correct. Emma Grace followed, um, 19 months after Lily and, um, yeah, life was chugging along for a number of years there with us just having two little girls and all the fun that comes with that.
1: When, when you had those two little girls, did you ever even think about how, how fortunate you were to have healthy, happy, in quotes, air quotes, I've just been uh, done in my studio, by the way, perfect, healthy kids? You know,
2: that's a great question. I, I think when you are in that position, at least for us, I'm not sure that we even realized um, how, you know, what that was, what that meant. We just, just, you know, it was part of life. We didn't realize that we could have children any other way at that point. We hadn't been around a lot of people that were born with with differences. And so we just, we kind of took it for granted maybe a little bit and how, how, Seemingly easy parenting them was. <laughs> we didn't realize yes. what we were in, what was in store for us.
1: Talk, talk about Biddy for a while. You you uh you you get pregnant the third time. You realize you're having another baby. When did you realize that this was going to be a different pregnancy? This was going to be a different child.
0: Well, the next child was was Bo, and uh, he's um we 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 did some some prenatal testing, I believe. Nothing that was conclusive because we didn't care one way or the other, um, you know, what uh, conditions or what have you he might be born with. But we knew there was a chance. And um, when uh, Bo was born, he was a healthy, beautiful little boy. And uh, they did some karyotype testing and uh, said, you know, he might have Down syndrome. Um we didn't know for sure so they did the karyotype and uh never forget uh sitting by the phone knowing the doctor was going to call it was about 10 days after he was born i think wasn't it something like no, that it was
2: about 3, oh, three it, felt, days. Like it felt like 10 <laughs> days yeah
0: felt and uh the doctor called and the doctor said um, results are back and your son does have down syndrome and um and we wept we 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 cried and uh, we were very frightened and very uh, scared and, uh, we knew things were changing and things had changed and we just didn't know uh, what it meant.
2: Um, we didn't know what down syndrome was right. I mean from maybe a couple of, you know, brushes with, with somebody with down syndrome in our lives. We'd never really spent time with anybody with down syndrome. And so I remember first thoughts that would go through my head were, you know, is he ever going to walk? Is mm-hmm. he ever going to talk? Will he get married one day? Will he be able to go to school? Like, I just had no idea what that meant for his future, for our futures. Um, It was a scary time.
0: Where
1: did you turn? When you find out about this, in quotes, I guess, diagnosis, that this child is different than the one you had thought was going to be your third born, what do you do next when you find out that there's an unexpected storm blowing your way?
0: Well, that's a good question. And I think uh, one of the ways we look at life is you really have two choices most of the time, you either deal with it or you don't deal with it. And we decided to deal with it, obviously. And, uh, and we just jumped headfirst into what is Down syndrome. And we researched on our own all that we could. We talked to different friends in the medical community who, uh, knew anything about it. And, um, we just embraced it fully and just said, hey, this is uh, this is the, the the little guy that God has given to us and he is 100% human and he is our son and we will uh, be the very best parents that we can be to him.
1: Amy, I'm gonna ask you two questions. I think the first one's gonna be painful to ask, but I think it's important to, to hear your response. And then the second one is a question for all of us. But my first question is, do you remember a conversation with a friend or something someone else said that broke your heart as you were raising this little guy, your child, right? I mean, like inappropriate stuff that people are saying about your little one that we need to be aware in the community that this is not what a young mother wants to hear about from one of her friends. And then secondly, when we find out that one of our friends or maybe even we ourselves uh, might – might have a child who's been diagnosed with Down syndrome. What's something that we can do that is life-giving and affirming and supportive for someone else who uh, is dealing with something that they weren't expecting earlier?
2: Yeah. Well, sadly, um, most people, I, you know, look back on on when Bo was born and and most people treated it like a funeral in a way. And I remember um, one of my Closest friends coming over with dinner and hugging me on the porch and telling me how sorry she was, and um, and that really colors how you feel about your child at the time. You think, gosh, everybody's so yes. sad for me. What what is what's going on here? Um, and so I have really made a point any time in life that I meet anybody who is expecting a child that has Down syndrome or any other disability to first and foremost congratulate them mm. because I wish somebody had said that to, to us in the beginning. Um, and I think it's a powerful thing. I, I, I did it one time and and the parents who were expecting a child with Down syndrome just said, I cannot believe you just said that. You know, nobody has said that to us before. And um, and it does. It shapes, you know, the way people feel about their child and, and about others with Down syndrome. Um, so... You know, we learned so much um, through the process of, of welcoming Bo into our family and, the, you know, raising him. And, and I know you're going to to move along here in a second to to what comes next. <laughs> but, you know, we had such a unique perspective when, when baby number four came along because we had been through it once.
1: Well, how old is baby number three when you find out you're expecting number four?
2: Oh, gosh. Um was Bo, I guess Bo was, was about four, four. Yeah, four, 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 four so, and a half, something
0: like that. So they're
2: five apart, five years apart. Um, so yeah, so we we learned that we were expecting again. Um, do you want me to kind of yeah, dive into that? <laughs> I'm following
1: you. Yeah.
2: So yeah. so yeah, we're trucking along. We've got our two little girls. We've got Bo, and we learn we're expecting another child. And um, this go around, you know, I was my maternal age was a, a lot greater, and they were, you know, a little concerned about just my pregnancy in general. Um, so they did some some various ultrasounds and testing early on and, and discovered that the little girl that I was carrying had um, a condition called a cystic hygroma that was um, really um, creating some challenges for her survival uh, through the pregnancy. So the doctors early on said to us, you know, you've got about a 25% chance that she's going to you're going to be able to carry her to terms. Mm -hmm. It was a very, um, scary time again. Um, they said, you know, there may be some chromosomal or abnormalities, but Ben and I were completely just focused on, on her, um, survival, survival. Yeah. We didn't care
0: how she came came out. out. Yeah. We
2: just wanted her. And, um, there was a lot of, a lot of praying going on, um, and miraculously, through the, that first, um, gosh, I think about 19 weeks, we saw this cystic hygroma grow and really threaten her life, and then we saw it shrink. Mm. And um, and then, you know, somewhere along the way there, they said it looks like she has Down syndrome too. <laughs> and we... We
0: cried again. Yeah, and we cried
2: well, a lot again, but just...
0: But it was a very different, uh, very different type of tear. It was a tear of joy, not a tear of yeah. sorrow or fear. We we knew what Down syndrome was and- uh, We were overjoyed. We, you know, they might as well have said, you know, your daughter has blonde hair. We, <laughs> we, it was just a very normal thing to us and we totally got it and uh, couldn't have been happier. All
1: right, so the, the cynic in the back of the bus right now listening to the podcast with their arms crossed has just said, what a bunch of bull, man. There There's no way they cried tears of joy. For the person who has just said that in the back of their mind, or if the person said, that's not how I would respond, why don't you tell them and tell me why, why you responded with tears again, but this time with tears of joy?
0: I think it's because, you know, we fear what we don't understand. We fear what we don't have experience with. We fear what we don't know. And when you don't know anything about, in this case, Down syndrome, there's a lot of fear there, and there's a lot of immediate judgment, and there's a lot of preconceived and ongoing notions about it. And we had been through all of that, obviously, with Bo, so we knew that you know we were going to win the lottery twice here, and and Biddy came along, that uh, we didn't have to go through any of that anymore. And uh, on a on a grander scale too, I think, um, I think John that that there's a prevailing notion out there that human beings that have disabilities is something to feel sorry for and you don't want to have a disability you know you you, you people don't want that right um it's it makes people seem like they're less than human subhuman this that or the other and i think what we've learned is is that uh, that perception uh, might be there but there's not a lot of truth in it mm-hmm. and um Take that a step further to, and we talk about this all the time. Um, everybody that you know, everybody that you don't know who, who uh, currently does not have a disability before dinner tonight could join the group of people with disabilities, oh. right? A car accident, a stroke, a freak accident, it just doesn't take very much. And then what? Right? So it's. Um, when you start to look at the world that way and you realize that humanity comes in lots of different shapes and forms and, and changes shape and form, um, you start to broaden your perspective on how you view people and dis- people that live with disabilities are 100% human beings and they mostly want everything that everybody else wants. I say most only because sometimes it's hard for them to communicate that. Mm-hmm. Um, But um, anyway, I'm kind of rambling. But uh, Amy, do you want to
2: have anything to add? Yeah, I think you said it well. Yeah. Tell me what. Go ahead. Go ahead,
1: John. Uh, What what I'm curious about is the tears changed in four years from tears of sorrow to tears of joy. That's like that's a radical transformation. So I'm curious in those first four years with your little Beau, what did he teach you about life that allowed you to recognize in that fourth pregnancy, hey what a gift we're having this time.
2: Yeah. You know, um, I do believe we grew stronger as a couple, stronger as a family, um, when Bo joined our lives. And, uh, I think so much of that has to do with what you asked earlier about, you know, how did you, how did you feel when you were raising your two girls? And did you ever stop and think about, um, how easy it was, or I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but, you know, raising Bo, there were a number of challenges. You know, he was born blind, um, which is not always, actually rarely the case with Down syndrome, but in our situation, Bo had cataracts in both eyes. So we were dealing with that, um, just various therapies and, and whatnot, I mean, there, there are lots of things, you obstacles you have to overcome, and each time we'd overcome an obstacle, I feel like it just made us appreciate what we had so much more, appreciate each other, appreciate the lives we had, and and I think when those tears of joy started flowing with Biddy, it's it's kind of like a, oh gosh, we get to do this again, and it's it's going to be even better this time because the fear has been erased, but there's definitely a um, a sense of gratitude that that you get just through overcoming challenges.
1: Mm. The challenges are real, and they will always be in front of you. One of the challenges as you grew with these kids is the realization that their future is dimmed by some of the practices in our community today. I believe unemployment is 80% among among our population for those who have intellectual and developmental delays. Is, Is that about an accurate stat?
2: That is. That is the statistic we use. Um, and, uh, isn't
1: that appalling? It's it's shocking. And for a guy who people sometimes glance at me and think that I have, uh, challenges physically, uh, there's, there's a way to solve this. There's a way to move through this. And, and you actually, instead of pointing out what's wrong, you're moving toward what's right. So let's talk about that recognize, that recognition of, wow, this is unfair. How, How you felt when you recognized how, how limited their future was, and now what you're doing about it today.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, w- when, when Bo was born is when we were uh, clearly thrust into the world of, of people who live with disabilities. And what we noticed was when, um, folks made it through the public school system and, um, you know, 20, 21, 22, depending on the state, um, it was kind of like light, the lights went out after they got out of high school. Um, most of them seemed like if they had a job, it, it was for an hour, um, a week, or two hours a week in a and stocking something in a back room somewhere out of sight. Mm-hmm. Um, they they got to go bowling maybe once a week and Special Olympics twice a year, and and, and these are wonderful, great things. But the business world um, just almost categorically ignored them or felt like, um, you know, they had the business world in order to hire people with, uh, IDD, intellectual and developmental disabilities, you know, had to have a quote, a heart for it, unquote. Mm-hmm. And, um, in order to, you know, to hire somebody, because the notion was, you know, if you're going to hire them, you're kind of doing it, um, as, as a charity and, um, you know, you might pay them, but it's really just, you, you kind of feel sorry for them, and and, and it's sympathy, um, and we just thought, you know, we've got some skin in the game here, right, Biddy and Bo, and, and we didn't want the lights to go out for them when they got through high school, so we said, we're going to do something about this, and we're going and to, we're going to, what we thought we were going to do, first of all, is is uh, put a dent in this unemployment rate of 80%, you know, and, uh that's when, uh, you know, opening the coffee shop and all. But what we quickly realized is that, you know, while we plan on opening lots of coffee shops, um, that's really just our platform to show the world that people with disabilities deserve more than sympathy. They deserve empathy and compassion, and they deserve more than charity. They deserve a chance at prosperity and prosperity. Um, we didn't know that going into this, but mm. that's what we're focused on right now.
1: So talk about that, this uh, <clears throat> this ability that they have to not only gain employment of value, but to inspire us to recognize um, <laughs> the limitless possibility, not not only within their lives, but within ours.
0: Right.
2: Well, we, you know, we said in the beginning we were creating jobs for people with disabilities. That's you know we started with a staff of 19, we now employ uh, 60. But it is so much more than providing jobs to these individuals. It is for the typically developing guests that come into the coffee shop that feel and experience a transformation so that then when they go back out into the world, yes. they have a new perspective, a new feeling about people with intellectual and developmental disabilities that maybe they never had before. So I think that's, that's been kind of the great surprise to us too, through this whole experience is while it was important to create these jobs, what's more important is that we change the way people see people with intellectual and developmental disabilities.
1: You mentioned something important there because I think most of us think it's about employing somebody, almost charity, if you will. But what you're really calling out here, first, that's not true. And secondly, it transforms the lives of the rest of us. There was a little coffee shop in St. Louis that I visited about two years ago. And, uh, a, a, a remarkable individual came up, served me my coffee, smiled at me, talked to me, shook my hand, asked me if I needed anything. So I said, just, just one thing, can I take a picture with you and, and put it online? And the gentleman said, yes, absolutely. So we took this little picture, I put it online, and I said, this is the best service I've ever received, ever. That's all I put. And it went viral, not because of our platform, but because this guy has his own following already from this coffee shop. He has some intellectual and developmental delays. And there are people that go into that coffee shop daily to be encouraged about rising up, about meeting others where they are, about loving life, about reflecting joy uh, unashamedly. Well, share with mm-hmm. me a, a story or two about a customer who came in for coffee and left
2: with much more. Oh, wow. Well, My favorite story about that is um, we have a a young woman named Elizabeth who has Down syndrome who was working behind the counter, and a young couple came in. uh, The woman was expecting her belly. It was was very obvious she was expecting a child. Um, She and her husband sat there and conversed with Elizabeth uh, for perhaps an hour, Um, Elizabeth is wonderful at at leaning across the counter and giving hugs, and you could just tell there was just a lot of love flowing. Um, And when the couple got up to leave, uh, the woman said to Elizabeth, the baby we're expecting has Down syndrome too. And, uh, you know, Elizabeth just threw her arms in the air and and said, yes, you know, (laughs) she was just excited. and, And I thought, you know, what a transformative experience for that young couple to see what is possible to to have that glimpse into the future and, and know that their child can achieve everything that Elizabeth is achieving. And, and that's that glimpse that I wish, you know, Ben and I had had when Bo was born. We just, we didn't have hope at that point. And what we feel like the coffee shop brings is, is a lot of hope to people.
1: Ben, I, I'd hate to say, hey man, I want you to one-up that because I think it's impossible to share a more beautiful story than that one. But you, you yeah. probably have your favorites, too. So why don't, why don't you share your Elizabeth story w- with whomever it may be?
0: Yeah, I, I have a, a friend um, that has a, a son with Down syndrome who is older than Bo uh, by a good 10 or 15 years. And um, his son never had a job before he got his job at, at Biddy and Bo's. And this is a very successful man, a very well-educated man. Uh, very highly regarded, and um, to have him, it was in a text actually, he texted to me, he said, um, he said, uh, I'll leave the son's name out of it, but he said, I dropped him off at work today for the first time uh, in his life, in, and in my life too, and this is a very stoic guy, this is a guy who saves people's lives, and he said, uh, he said, it really means a lot to us uh Kind of chokes a guy up a little bit what uh, was his text and it, you know that that was a shot out of the blue because this is a guy I would never expect that sort of thing but it, it you know obviously it meant a lot to his son to have a job at the coffee shop but it meant it meant just as much to the parents mm. I mean, who knows maybe more you know that somebody you know saw value in their in their child and and uh, and, and and gave them a chance and um and told them, affirmed uh, that, you know, it's okay to have a disability. It's okay to have Down syndrome. It's okay to have cerebral palsy. It's okay to have autism. It's all part of the human condition. And and people, I think, appreciate that. Mm. And And the coffee shop has become this place where not just people with disabilities, but all types of people... Enter this coffee shop because they know that it's okay to be who they are. Mm.
1: You have made a decision to destroy about half of the potential revenue that you could be generating by not having a drive through. But it's <laughs> very intentionally done. Explain to our listeners why you don't allow people to grab their coffee easy.
2: Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. Do you want to do well, it's simply because we want to bring people together and we are not, uh, a, a, while you can get a quick cup of coffee, we, that's <laughs> not what we do. You know, we want people to come in and to spend a couple of moments talking to somebody that's different from them. And um, unfortunately, you can't achieve that very well through a drive through but, um, you know, it's, it's an experience. This is a coffee shop that gives you a transformative experience. And, you know, most people stay at least a half hour when they come visit. Mm -hmm. Most people are engaged with our staff and and even with other guests. There aren't a whole lot of people that come into the shop and just pull up their computers or or dive into their work. They come there to have a sense of community. Mm. And um, it's a very unique place for that reason.
1: What has surprised you most about the the crazy success and impact of the work that you're doing?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I I think it's people's hunger for it. I think people, um, it was kind of the the snake uh, in the cupboard that that you didn't know was there and, you know, would have bit you. And you just, people are hungry for this perspective, I think. I, I think they want to know sort of how they're supposed to feel about it. How are you supposed to feel about people with disabilities? How are you supposed to deal deal with it? I mean, I think the closest thing you can get to is, you know, prior to this for us was, you know, if, if you encounter someone who uses a wheelchair or, you know, has a visually identifiable disability, what do you do? Mm. Do you just ignore it and act like they're, they don't have that disability? and Or do you ignore them? Because you don't know how to deal with them, mm-hmm. or do you go up to them and try to engage them and converse with them, or even go so far as to say, um, "I know we don't know each other, but um, you know, how did you end up using this wheelchair or whatever it is?" I think people want to bridge that disconnect, and um, you know, when we opened the coffee shop a couple of years ago in a 500 square foot space. Um, we didn't know what would happen. We thought it might just, you know, doors might open and, and nobody would show up and it would just be nothing but the sound of chirping crickets. <laughs> but what happened was the place just got flooded and lines out the door around the block and then we're getting booted up into 5,000 square feet and then oh, now opened in Charleston, about to open in Savannah. And, you know, this is, and, and what we've realized is, John, is that one in five people in the country has a disability. And that is a massive group of people, right? That's, that's what, 60 some million people. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, it could be a visual disability, a hearing disability, you know, and not just intellectual and developmental, but you know, there are 200 million people across the world that have intellectual and developmental disabilities. So, you know, this is a, a ubiquitous problem. This is uh, well, problem's not the right word, but a, a, a ubiquitous reality. Yeah. condition, reality. Exactly. And people just really don't know what to do with it. You know, there's this massive disconnect I, that we're focused on right now where, you know, people such as our family who have family members with disabilities, you know, we have our family life. Uh, we, we engage our, our, our children with disabilities in the family life, and then you go off to work. Maybe we're not a great example, but you, you go off to work, and all of a sudden, that doesn't exist anymore, right? There's nobody like your child anywhere uh for the most part and and that is just a bizarre state of affairs i think and people say well i don't know how to deal with that in the business world you know who, who am i going to take off of their job to help this person or job coaches and this you know and, and to me to us it's just kind of a a, a bucket full of excuses you know it's, it's kind of like how do parents deal with it when the child with, with this with a disability is born or gets a disability you, you just, you deal with it. You figure it out. You don't have time to drop everything you're doing and go get a PhD in special education. You just have to figure it out. And the business world is entrepreneurial enough and innovative enough, I think, to figure it out too. So. Amy, I have, I have long- a question
1: for you in a moment, but Ben, I want to follow up with that briefly. Is there one example of a, an entrepreneur, a business leader, a salesperson that has come in for coffee, learned your story and said, you know what? I, I, I see how I can become part of this solution. And, and done something thinking outside the box.
0: Well, yes. Um, you know, uh, there's a large company in our town here, uh, that's, you know, in the, in, in the science field and boy, have they stepped up to the plate and reached out, uh, to us and said, Hey, we want to do more of this. You know, there, there are, uh, there are, there is a place for people with, uh, disabilities in, in our company, And please help us identify those folks who want to work. And uh, we want to interview them and and, and hire them. And uh, they have done just a bang-up job of, uh, of, you know, walking the talk. And uh, we're super proud of them.
1: Amy Wright, you were nominated as one of 2017 CNN's Heroes of the Year. How did you first learn that you'd even been nominated for this?
2: Oh gosh! Um, just a phone call I had received at the shop, and um, it was a very um, long process. A lot of um, a lot of weeks of of CNN learning about who I was and what what we were doing at the coffee shop, and um, it was very. It, I don't know. It's so funny. I think it took a matter of months between the time they first reached out to me and I learned I had been chosen, um, which is. Probably, most definitely, my greatest professional uh, accomplishment, and um, and very humbling. Um, but it just it was a, a fantastic platform for us to share what mm-hmm. we're doing at Biddy and Bo's Coffee and reach people all over the world with this story. And um, it's been it's been a, a ride we didn't see coming, and and one will never forget.
1: At the award ceremony itself uh there's a great video and we'll link to it of course on our website in the show notes it's when you hear your name as the 2017 cnn hero of the year and you just you lose it you walk up there this is the sixth year of cnn's collaboration with the Annenberg Foundation. We're so proud of that. And since we announced the top 10 heroes, we gave you the opportunity to
2: vote for the hero who inspires you the most. The hero with the most votes will receive an additional $100,000 to continue their life changing work.
1: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the 2017 CNN Hero of the Year is Amy Wright. Wright. What, what was that emotion like when you heard your name? Knowing also, I mean, who you were against was incredible. Everyone was worthy. But what, what was it yeah. like to hear your name and realize oh, what they were really nominating there, what they were really celebrating?
2: Uh, I just, throughout the whole voting process, too, I just felt such support. There were so many people behind what we're doing. And uh, in that moment when they said my name, I just thought about how much that meant to so many. Um, especially to Biddy and Bo, who I knew were at home watching the show. And, um, and I'll tell you, they, they talk about it almost daily, <laughs> that um, they're so proud of me for, for being named that. And I always say it's, it's a family thing. It's, you know, I share this with you guys. But it, it, it has given them such a sense of pride and identity, too. Um, but I just felt it was a win for everybody. For people with disabilities, for people that care for people with disabilities, and for people who have just joined this human rights movement with us, and and have shown their solidarity by by purchasing a cup of coffee or um, you know however it is they want to to support our business, it's it, it felt like a win for all.
1: I'm, I'm going to share the the last line from your short and incredibly beautiful, articulate uh, acceptance speech, and then I'd like you to share with us what you mean by it. Uh, Biddy and Bo, I know that you are home watching this live right now. And I'll get emotional telling you this because I think it's so well said, but this is what you followed with. I need you to know that you are perfect and I would not change you for the world, but I would change the world for you. Thank you. And then you dropped the mic.
2: (laughs) So uh, it
1: is such a, it's such a beautiful way to wrap up, but tell me what you mean with those words.
2: I just, I wanted them to know above all else, that even if a doctor came to me today and said, we have found a cure for Down syndrome, I wouldn't want it. You know, Biddy and Bo Beau are, are beautifully and, and wonderfully made, and I wouldn't change a hair on their head. And I want them to know that I never would feel embarrassed about them or, or sad about who they are. They They are perfect in every way. And mm. so that, to me, was my opportunity to let them know that and to remember that for the rest of their lives. Now, that being said, I will fight every day of my life. till I take my dying breath to change this world for them Mm -hmm. because not everybody feels that way about people with down syndrome or other disabilities. And we've come a long way, but we have a long way to go.
1: What keeps you going?
2: Oh, I just, you know, just that dream of, of my children being valued the way that the world values our older two girls. I don't want I don't want people to see them as less than because they're not. You know, I I, I like to say sometimes that, you know, Down syndrome is a is a third copy of the twenty first chromosome. So they have one more chromosome than we do. And it makes me wonder sometimes if the rest of us are just missing that chromosome. Because mm. What, what they have, the way they are created is, is a way that I think we could all learn a lot from and, and, and love each other a lot more if we had that extra chromosome.
1: So I know you both listen to the Live Inspired podcast, so you're familiar with what's coming next. We call it the Live Inspired 7. Before we switch gears, my final question to you is uh, give me one thing that you have learned through the honor of parenting these two kids. I realized you could spend another hour bragging on them, but what's one thing you learned about work or life or joy or overcoming or relationship or any other direction you want to take it by parenting these two little ones?
0: Well, that's a really interesting question. And I tell you what, I think what I've learned is, and it's sort of obvious is that everybody's not the valedict- the valedictorian of their class. Everybody's not the quarterback of the football team. Everybody's not the, Lead cheerleader on the squad. In fact, most of us aren't. Um, the world val seems to value big, fast, smart, and strong people. And the minute you're not big, fast, smart, and strong, you start to get pushed down on the you know down the down the spectrum. And I think what r- raising these two little ones with with disabilities has taught us is is that there's room for everybody, and that it's a big, big, big world and we all come in different shapes and sizes and, and abilities and there's room for everybody. We just have to, um, see it that way.
1: Mm. Amy?
2: Yeah, I, I guess too, I would just add that, you know, they've taught us so much about love and what unconditional love looks like and whether that's, embracing people with disabilities or embracing people no matter what their background is, who they love, what color their skin is. It's, it's just, love is love is love. And um, Biddy and Beau are really good at love. <laughs> and, and they have taught us so much that way. And they've, they've taught their older sisters this too. And um, I don't know, my heart has, has grown a lot since, since they came into our lives.
1: Well, our heart has grown a lot since you've come into our lives, and as we move toward uh, uh, launching Forward Into Life, we ask all of our guests, and today we're lucky to have two guests on the show, seven questions. So why don't we begin with Ben. Ben, what's the best book you've ever read?
0: The best book I've ever read is a children's book called Knots on a Counting Rope. It's a story about uh, an American Indian child who is born blind into his family and tribe who loves him for who he is with mm-hmm. his blindness and all and support him and teach him and um celebrate him and they don't treat him less than anyone else and i cannot get through a page of that book <laughs> without literally bawling my eyes out, and typically I'm by myself when I read it, and if I have to read it to one of the kids, it's even worse.
2: <laughs> You're a mess. But
0: that's my favorite book.
2: Amy? It's funny he chose that, um, because I also chose a children's book. Uh, just love The Giving Tree. I just feel like that is that says it all, and and a way to, to live and to, to give to others.
1: This question's new, but uh, I think it's perfect for you. What's... One positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed when you were a child that you wish you possessed and exhibited more commonly today. Oh, that's
2: a great one. You want to go first? If you know, go. <laughs> was
0: it a trait, did you
2: say,
1: John? One trait, one characteristic, one revelation that you had in spades is a little one that you may have lost sight of a little bit along the way.
0: Oh, I wish it was that... that uh... That instinct, that trait to, to play more, you know, to to just be goofy and uninhibited and if you feel like dancing, dance. If you feel like running, run, if you feel like jumping, jump. Uh so much restraint these days, so much trying to be the, the father and the grown up and the mature person when inside um I wish I could grab back onto some of that playfulness that I had as a child.
1: Perfect, Amy.
2: Yeah, uh, my, my answer kind of echoes Ben in that way of just um, dancing more, laughing more. Um, now, I will say, being at the coffee shop and surrounding myself with with all these amazing individuals who work there, who just do love to dance, and <laughs> um, and there just aren't any inhibitions. You know, just living out loud all the time is very refreshing to me, and so I do get a good dose of that. Um, Every day, but I you know I wish that um, wish that I didn't carry worries that I carry and uh, and did just dance more.
1: <laughs> if your house, coffee shop, whatever it may be today, if it caught fire and all your team members, all your kids, all your little animals were out safe and you had an opportunity to run in and grab one item. What would you grab? Why don't we start with Amy this time?
2: Oh gosh. It would have to be um, as many photo albums as I could carry out because, you know, way back when, before we had all these smartphones where you could save your photos, I printed everything out and kept albums. And um, it's one of our family's favorite things to do is to flip through these old albums and and look at the photos with the kids. And I would just be so sad if I ever ever lost any of that. Mm. So it would definitely be an armful of photo albums.
1: And Ben, what are you following with?
0: I would follow
2: with... I
0: would run in and grab this beautiful portrait uh, of Amy uh, when we were married um, because I would want um, family to come to be able to look in that look at that that portrait of her and realize that uh, that's where it all started right there. Mm-hmm. I had a very rich and an interesting, fulfilling life before I met Amy, but I believe that my life really started in earnest when I met her.
1: Okay, now that you've just made the rest of us feel lousy about our relationships and marriages, thank you for that (laughs) one, Ben. Total brownie points your way, brother, and well said. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you could sit on a bench, Ben and Amy, overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anybody living or dead, Who would you uh, individually like to sit on that bench with?
2: That's easy for me. I lost my mom a couple months before Biddy was born. And um, one of the last things she said to me, and this was before we knew Biddy had Down syndrome, was, I hope this baby you're carrying has Down syndrome just like Bo." And um, she, she knew, you know. I tell people that story and they can't even believe that a grandmother would wish another child with Down syndrome on a family and they clearly don't know us, but, um, I would just love to sit with my mom and tell her how amazing her grandchildren are. Mm. So (laughs) that would be my answer.
0: (laughs) For me, um, I think it would be Amy and, um, you know, for the practical reason that we're so doggone busy, we don't get much of an (laughs) opportunity to to talk with each other. Um, But I just can't think of anybody else in the world that um, I would rather spend my time or my life with than her. Um, She is such an extraordinary person and uh, has made my life so much more than I ever, Mm. ever dreamed it could be.
1: Ben, what is the best advice that Amy or anyone else that you look up to has ever given you?
0: Wow. The best advice I think I ever got was I once had a guy tell me, he said, Ben, you are fearless and you need to stay that way. And I think about that a lot. And I don't know if I'm really uh, cracked up uh, to that, um, if I'm really fearless or not, but it sure makes a guy feel good when somebody else thinks that that, mm-hmm. that he's fearless. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to abide by that uh, by that advice to to stay fearless.
1: Amy,
2: and uh, mine would be what my mother said about raising her five kids. I'm the oldest of five, and she said you love your children the same by loving them differently. Mm. And um, and I believe that really planted some seeds, too, for, you know, the way that um, you meet people where they are, which is what we do at the coffee shop. It's what I do as I parent Biddy and Bo and our older girls. Everybody has different needs. And if you can just meet people where they are. That's all anybody wants.
1: Amy, what would you tell your 20 year old self?
2: I would say, you think this is good now, <laughs> just wait. The best is yet to come. And um, you just, I had no idea at 20 that my life would be the way it is now. And um, just listen more, trust more, um, and enjoy the ride.
1: Mm. And Ben?
0: What would I tell my 20 year old self? Oh my goodness. Um, I think I would tell myself to take even more risks than what you took as a young man. Uh, That life is unpredictable. Uh, It can be short. It can change in a heartbeat. And if it's something you feel like doing, it's something that you believe in, don't just think about it. Try to do it.
1: Ben and Amy Wright... It has been said that all great coffee shop owners <laughs> and people and leaders and spouses and children and friends and Live Inspired podcast guests can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Uh, ben, and then Amy, how would you like your one sentence to read?
0: You go first. Oh, I
2: know
0: he said that. <laughs> Oh, I think I would like my sentence to be, he broadened my perspective on what I thought was possible and gave me hope.
2: And uh, I'm going to say, I hope that people someday say about me that she loved fiercely
1: Well, Amy and Ben Wright, you indeed have loved fiercely, and I am convinced you have broadened the perspective on what we all think is possible. It has been an honor and a joy to spend an hour with you on the Live Inspired podcast. Thank you, John, it's
2: been an honor. It's been
0: our honor, John, thank you for
2: having us.
1: My friends, that was Amy, that was Ben, they are the Wrights, I am John O'Leary, and today is your day, be like them.
2: Live Inspired.